Hello, friends. It's Ann West, Executive Director of the Island Health and Wellness Foundation, bringing you another episode of the Just for the Health of It podcast. The following is a conversation that I had with Griffin Dill. Griffin works for the University of Maine Cooperative Extension Program. He actually manages the TIC lab within the Diagnostic and Research Laboratory. Griffin also coordinates the Integrated TIC Management Program including the tick identification and tick-borne disease testing services. This is not intended to serve as any sort of medical or healthcare advice. It's just for educational purposes, and hopefully we'll have a little fun along the way. So with that, let's launch into our conversation. Welcome, Griffin. In your own words, tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think first and foremost, I'm I'm a Mainer. Uh, I grew up in, in Old Town and have lived in Old Town uh, all my life. Uh, so I'm really fortunate to, to have had the opportunity to uh, attend the University of Maine and, and now work at the University of Maine. So it's, it's really been a, a privilege to, to be able to kind of stick around my my hometown where I grew up and, and get to uh, work and, and live in, in, the, in the community. Um, and, and as you said, I, I work at the, the diagnostic and research lab and, and manage the, the tick lab uh, for cooperative extension. And, and I basically run our, our uh, tick surveillance program in which we, we really collect a lot of data and information about ticks and tick-borne diseases and, and how they're spreading throughout the state. Uh, in addition to my uh, tick responsibilities, I also provide support to uh, clients on wildlife related issues around the home. Um, and also work with some of our other uh, integrated pest management programs that, that we offer through Extension. You are extremely busy, um, but I have to say, you're speaking my love language saying that you're from Maine. I'm also from Maine. I grew up in Searsport and um, I feel like it's an absolute privilege to be able to do a job that I love in the state that I love. Um, so I'm right there with you and yeah. I, Go Mainers. I did not go to University of Maine. I went to Hudson, but okay. both of my brothers went to UMaine for their right. undergraduate. So yeah, we're we're all in the family here. <laughs> so let's go back for a moment to 10-year-old Griffin. Yeah. Did he want to work with ticks and tick-borne diseases? You know, when I was 10, I really didn't know what a tick was. I didn't know anything about ticks. And I certainly was not aware of tick-borne diseases or anything like that. Um, you know, ticks are something that have really kind of spread throughout the state of Maine. And I think a lot of us have that experience that, you know, when we grew up, it was not a concern. We ran wild through the woods and played outdoors and never gave it a consideration. Um, so when I was a kid, I was really interested in, in wildlife and, and always have been. Um, and, and given ticks kind of inextricable link to, to their wildlife hosts, uh, my work has really allowed me to kind of combine that passion for wildlife with, with the public health threats that, uh, that are associated with ticks. So it's been kind of a nice opportunity to, to kind of combine some work that has some, some real life value with, in, in regards to, to kind of protecting the health of, of humans and pets and wildlife while still getting to kind of interact with, with those uh, uh, wildlife hosts and, and deal with wildlife issues as well. Absolutely. Um, growing up, my dad worked in the woods. He actually cut firewood. Um, that was his job. And I don't recall him ever coming home with a tick um, on him or uh, on his clothes or anything like that. So you're absolutely right. This is this is something that has come to the forefront in the last few years 
And it's so funny to think how far we've come because I don't even let my daughter go play on the lawn. But when she comes in, we do a full tick check. Um, so it's it's interesting the the journey of, of where we were to where we are now. Yeah. So Griffin, what does a typical day look like for you in terms of your job? If there is a typical, I know that's a loaded question. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know if there is a, a typical day here in Extension. Uh, there's there's always something new and, and new questions that are being asked by the public. You know, Extension is the outreach branch of the university. So um, we're kind of the interface between university research and, and just the general public as a whole. Um, so it's it, it really varies from day to day, certainly, you know, during kind of tick season, if you will, um, certainly a, a bulk of the day is spent going through, uh, it's kind of sifting through all of the, the tick submissions that have come into the lab and getting them prepped and ready for testing. Uh, and then it's a, it's really a lot of, of just kind of talking to the public. We get a lot of calls and emails with people that are concerned about ticks. They need help with, with management strategies or uh, questions about personal protection. So it's it's a, it's really a lot of just kind of talking people kind of off the ledge when it comes to ticks. I mean, I've, I've had people uh, get in contact with us that are considering moving to the state of Maine and, and are now concerned about doing that because of the tick issue. And I've had people that live in Maine that are looking to, to get out because of the, the tick issue. Um, so it's really kind of talking about the, the risk and, and putting it into perspective. Um, you know, certainly we, we don't want people obviously leaving the state or not coming to the state simply based on the presence of ticks, because honestly, ticks are, are pretty widespread across the country. So getting away from them is, is not an easy task. And we don't want people to, you know, to, to stop doing everything that they enjoy that and taking advantage of all the things that the Maine Outdoors has to offer. Um, so we're, we're really try, I'm trying to kind of push that, that narrative that we can take some simple precautions and, and minimize our risk without giving up uh, all the all the uh, you know, amazing things that, that Maine has to offer. So that's kind of the, the typical day. Yeah, and I, I think that's an interesting balance to always try to reach. And, and just a shout out to you guys, you're doing an amazing job. I was actually at the bank yesterday um, on Deer Isle and one of the employees just said, oh, what are you up to? And I said, I'm gonna be recording a podcast with um, the University of Maine Cooperative cooperative extension on um, tick and tick ticks and tick prevention. And she said, Oh, my goodness, they are doing such an amazing job. She said, I had I found a tick on me, and I sent it in and they were able to identify it quickly and assure me um, that I wasn't at risk for Lyme. And she said it really helped to put my mind at ease. And it was done so a lot quicker, I think, in her mind than what she had thought. Um, so that's a huge resource. And she said, just mention to him when you talk to him on the podcast, how much I appreciate that. So I told her I would I would relay that message. Yeah, and that's that's really great to hear. We always love to, to get feedback from um, the people that we work with. And we really hope we're, you know, kind of making a difference and, and helping people out. And so it's it's really great to hear that that you know people are are able to take advantage of the, the services that we offer and that they're uh, you know getting a, a nice benefit out of it. Yeah, she was so pleased. Now, tell me, um, talking about the tick situation in Maine, especially this spring, what trends have you seen? Yeah, so this spring has been kind of interesting. You know, it was a relatively mild winter. The spring was relatively early, um, and it's been pretty warm and, and dry for the most part. Um, so usually we, we tend to expect to see um, deer ticks, or also, they're also known as, as black-legged ticks, 
you know, kind of emerging in the spring and they're, they're relatively active and that's kind of what we've come to expect. But this year, in addition to those, to those black legged ticks, we also saw a huge increase and a relatively early uh, increase in the number of, of dog ticks that were active. And so that's a little bit different, you know, generally they are a little bit later in the season, kind of end of May through June and into July is, is their peak. But, but this year it was just a, a probably three weeks to a month early and really was coinciding with the, uh, the black legged tick activity. So it was just kind of this combined effect that really made it seem like ticks were active and, and everywhere. Um, and that's another, you know, kind of difference between the two is, is their ability to, to kind of thrive in different locations. The, the dog tick is a hardier species. So, you know, we do tend to see those kind of out in lawns and in fields and around buildings where, where the black legged tick just is, is not able to survive. So, so certainly it's, it's been an active season so far. Um, you know, if we, if we continue to see hot dry weather and that could signal decreased activity over the over the rest of the summer, but it really is is pretty highly weather dependent. Okay, so you spoke of, of deer ticks and dog ticks. Can yeah. you talk about the difference between those two? Yeah, so so deer ticks and, and dog ticks certainly are are pretty different. Um, they are both known to transmit um, pathogens. Uh, however, the pathogens that the dog ticks are capable of transmitting are, are not found yet here in Maine. Um, unlike the, the deer tick, they, they aren't capable of transmitting Lyme disease. So we're relatively fortunate in that respect. They're really more of a nuisance species. I mean, certainly, you know, nobody wants to look out and find a, a tick crawling on them, let alone feeding on them. So it's certainly an unnerving experience, regardless of what type of tick it is. But as I said, you know, with, with the dog tick, it, it is more of a nuisance than a true public health threat. Now, we, we do certainly do um, monitor the dog ticks that, that come into the lab. We test them for some of those associated pathogens because we really want to be on top of it if and when those diseases start showing up here. Um, but as, as I was mentioning too, the, the kind of habitat use between the two species is a little bit different. Uh, the deer tick, they, they dry out really quite easily. So they tend to be found in kind of these areas that are shaded, that have a lot of vegetative cover, leaf litter, things like that. So kind of around the forest, the forest edge, um, you know, landscape plantings that offer a lot of, of ground cover, basically anywhere they can really take advantage of, of kind of getting out of direct sunlight. Whereas the dog tick, as I said, is it, it can really kind of survive and even thrive in some of those locations. So I think this spring, that's really what's kind of been surprising people is, is, is finding ticks in places that they didn't expect to see them, like, like in just in the backyard or, um, you know, even around patio furniture, playground equipment, things like that. And, and when I hear people talking about that and, and describing that, uh, I generally assume that it's probably dog ticks that they're dealing with. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, um, the dog tick that ended up on me this year, uh, it definitely was a field type. We were walking some shelter dogs and um, it, that makes perfect sense now. It, it was a field location, probably not even somewhere that a deer tick would have been. I was just surprised at the size of it, I think, um, because I think at first my mind was like, oh, huge tick. And in this case, huge doesn't necessarily mean worse or bad or, or anything like that. It's yeah, so there's yeah, there certainly is a, a size difference. The dog ticks are a, a larger species in general. 
Um, we tend to caution a little bit against just using size alone as, a, as an identifying tool because as we know, as a tick feeds, it swells and gets bigger and bigger as it, as it uh, consumes more blood. So those, those small, tiny little deer ticks can become pretty big uh, over the course of their feeding and, and make a, a size comparison kind of, kind of difficult. But, but yeah, in general, the, the dog tick certainly is a, a, a much larger species. Okay, so why why are tick bites dangerous, or why can they be dangerous? Yeah, so I mean, you know, growing up in Maine, you know, we've always kind of faced this onslaught of of biting pests. You know, whether it's our classic mosquitoes and black flies, deer flies, horse flies, moose flies, you name it. You know, we've we've kind of experienced it being outdoors in Maine. You know, but moving just beyond that that simple annoyance that's posed by those those pests, you know, with ticks and mosquitoes, they now can can pose a, a significant health threat as well. Um, so, you know, in addition to in addition to just simply biting us and feeding on us, there are a number of pathogens, whether it be bacterial or, or viral pathogens that uh, that they can transmit. So ticks in particular are capable of, of transmitting a whole number of, of uh, pathogens here in Maine. Lyme disease, anaplasmosis, and babesiosis are kind of the three most commonly transmitted uh, tick-borne illnesses, with, with Lyme disease certainly being far and away the, the most common. Um, additionally, there's a couple of other pathogens. There's something called Borrelia miyamotoi disease, which is uh, a little bit less frequently transmitted than those other ones. Um, and then there's also a, a viral pathogen that certainly gets some attention in, in the news media. It's called Powassan virus. Uh, and it, it is an exceptionally rare illness and a rare infection here in Maine, but it is a, a very serious one. It, it can be fatal. We have had fatalities here in Maine as a result of, of contracting this virus. Um, so it, it certainly is a, a serious illness. It can cause you know, long-term neurological issues for, for survivors of, of, the, of the virus. But um, as I said, it is an exceptionally rare illness. So it's, it's not certainly something that we, we see frequently. Okay, so definitely reasons to take precautions. Yeah. So yeah. along those lines, what can we do to prevent being bitten by a tick in the first place? Yeah, so I mean, as, as human beings, we just naturally want a, a silver bullet solution that we can, we can say, well, let's do this, let's kind of turn things back and we'll get rid of these ticks, we'll eradicate them. And unfortunately, it, it's just not that simple. There are so many factors that kind of went into allowing ticks to expand their range and expand their population sizes that kind of putting the, the genie back in the bottle just isn't uh, uh, possible at this time. And, and you know, even on a, on a just a backyard basis, you know, completely eradicating the ticks there is, is generally not feasible. But, you know, by combining different strategies, we certainly can, can minimize their numbers, reduce their numbers and, and minimize our contact with, with ticks in general. And, and I think it really starts with, with personal protection. You know, management is, is certainly a, a, it's, its own um, complication, but we can we, at the very least try and limit our exposure, one by being, by just simply avoiding the most likely tick habitats kind of around the yard. So um, trying to avoid some of those um, edge areas, trying to avoid brushing against vegetation as much as possible, and then really creating a, a barrier in some way. And that barrier can be created uh, either through the use of protective clothing, 
Um, it can just be, you know, long pants, long sleeve shirts, and then, you know, tucking in shirts, tucking pants into boots or socks, um, anything that's going to prevent the tick from accessing bare skin. And then that barrier can also be a, a chemical barrier through the use of repellents. So there are a number of repellents that are, are recommended by uh, CDC and, and EPA based on just how effective they are. So, so using some of those repellent options and combining them with, with protective clothing and then just kind of being aware and, and trying to avoid tick areas is, is, is really the most important aspects of, of reducing our exposure. And then there certainly are things you can do around the landscape. Like, you know, as I said, they dry out so easily that kind of opening things up and, and letting as much sunlight in and, um, you know, keeping the lawn mowed and litter, leaf litter uh, away from, from the yard is important. And then there, there certainly are, are, you know, chemical options there as well. There are pesticides that, that are available and, and can be used. Um, so certainly there, there are options for, for minimizing our exposure. Uh, unfortunately, you know, eradicating the problem at this point isn't, isn't feasible. Darn it. I was hoping that would be the answer. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think those are all super helpful suggestions, especially for those of us who are still determined to spend time outdoors, yeah. um, that it's, it's just going to be a fact of life. And there's, there's steps that we can take to minimize the risk. Now, what happens if we do all of those steps and then we still find a tick attached to us? What, what do we do at that point? Yeah, well, I think the, the important point there is that one, you found the tick. And that's something uh, I should mention too, is, is really getting in the habit of conducting tick checks. Um, you know, in other parts of the country where ticks have been always been an issue, it's just kind of this, this known kind of cultural entity that, you know, when you've been outside, the kids have been outside, the pets have been outside. When they come back in, you, you do a tick check, you kind of search, uh, do a cursory look at, at the very least for uh, any ticks that might be there. Here in New England and, and Maine in general, we, we never really thought about doing that. And, and it really, we kind of need to make that cultural shift and, and really get in the habit of, of conducting those tick checks. Um, so it, in the course of, of doing one of those checks, we do find a tick. Um, certainly it's important to, to remove the tick uh, relatively quickly. Um, there is a, a time factor involved in, in most tick-borne illnesses. Basically, the, the longer the tick is attached, the higher the risk of uh, disease transmission. And then as far as removal itself, there you'll see a lot of folk remedies for, for removing ticks, things like, uh, you know, putting dish soap or, um, you know, nail polish remove, or even things like burning them with a, a lit match or a hot needle. And, and a lot of those things, I admit they will work. They will cause the tick to, to kind of back out and, and let go. But what they can also do is, is cause the tick to actually regurgitate back into the bite site. And so we really don't want that to happen because that can actually increase the, the chances of, of disease transmission. So um, you know anything, anything that's gonna agitate or, or harass the tick is something that we recommend against and, and try to avoid. So, you know, something just as simple as a pair of, of fine tip tweezers and, and grasping the tick as close to the skin surface as possible and just slowly, steadily pulling it out uh, is, is really uh, sufficient for, for tick removal. There are a whole host of, of tick removal devices that are, are commercially available. Some certainly work better than others. 
Um, you know, here we've, we've used the uh, tick spoons quite a bit. They're, they're widely available, um, relatively inexpensive. Um, I don't have any affiliation with the tick spoon, so I'm not getting any uh, kickbacks here for recommending them. Um, and and there, like I said, there are a whole host of other other options that work well as as, as well for removing a tick. Excellent, and um, I I like those suggestions about the the simpler the better, just the yeah. fine tip tweezers, um, and those are available um, for people listening from the island. Um, island Health and Wellness Foundation actually put some what we call tick kits together. And uh, those are available at both Island Family Medicine as well as Seaside Pharmacy at no cost. Um, so it's just tweezers and a little alcohol prep pad um, and the instructions on how to safely remove um, a tip. Now, this inevitably, and it's happened to me personally, so I just wanna get your take on it. Inevitably, you grab the tick, everything is going really well, and then you get it, but its head appears to still be under the skin. What do we do at that point? Yeah, so in, in general, nowadays, what we're recommending is that you do nothing, basically. Oh. So for, for a long time, it, there was a concern that if the head or the mouth parts were broken off and left behind, that it, it, it could contribute to the risk of, of disease transmission. Some newer research has really shown that that's, that's probably not the case, that simply um, having those those mouth parts or the head left behind is, is really not going to impact whether, you know, pathogens were transmitted or not. Um, and so the body itself is basically going to treat that as a splinter and it will eventually just kind of expel it on its own. And what we were finding is that people were really becoming very concerned with getting those mouth parts out. And, and it, I can fully understand that. I mean, you have this potentially, you know, disease-ridden tick and its disgusting mouth parts are stuck in your skin, so you want them out. But what we were finding is, is people were really doing more harm than good. They were basically conducting minor surgery on themselves with knives and needles and scalpels and, and really causing a lot of, of extra damage to the bite site that was, was generally unnecessary. Guilty. So guilty <laughs> of that. So that is good to know. And yeah, I yeah. will... I will definitely try to refrain from doing that in the future. By the way, my my daughter will be extremely happy with that because I have tried to dig more than one tick head out of the poor kid's skin. Um, so good to know for sure. Yeah, I imagine there's a whole number of, of children out there that have been traumatized by uh, parents trying to, to remove a a broken off tick head so yeah like someday when they all are sitting at a restaurant together they can compare scars <laughs> their parents all tried to remove the tick mouths That's um right. we we did it with the best of intentions though i promise <laughs> um so griffin what is one service that you offer through the cooperative extension that you wish that more people knew about yeah so i mean we're, we're really fortunate with the, the tick programs that we offer, you know, our testing service, our identification service, that, that they've, they're really starting to become well known. And we really appreciate that, you know, people have kind of used word of mouth to, to kind of, um, to, to spread the, the availability of that. And, you know, I, I don't know that there's a, a specific service that we offer that I'd want to highlight, but I, I would just recommend that people kind of check out extension as a whole. I think um, generally when people think of extension, they might just think of kind of the home and garden, canning and things like that, which Extension does and does a really great job of, 
of, of conducting programs in those areas. But there's a lot of programs that, that Extension does surrounding, you know, work with our agricultural communities, um, family health, uh, nutrition, all sorts of different things that I think go a little bit under the radar that, that a lot of people just don't know are out there and we have resource, uh, resources available that um, people just that aren't aren't aware of and don't know to take advantage of. So I would just, I would encourage everyone to, to check out the, the extension website, reach out to the local extension office um, and, and see what they have to offer. I mean, it doesn't have to be in response to a specific problem necessarily. I mean, we have programs, you know, master gardener, things like that, that are just interesting things to take part in. And um, there's a lot of learning opportunities associated with extension. So I would just I would just recommend that everyone kind of check out what extension has to offer and, and um, see if there's anything that is a good fit for you. I would definitely second that, um, especially as we're still feeling the definite effects of the pandemic. A lot of us um, are finding new things to do with free time that we used to spend in social settings. Um, and the Cooperative Extension just has unlimited educational opportunities. If you want to learn a new skill um, from preserving food to growing a beautiful flower garden, um, they can definitely help with all of that. So we really appreciate it. How do people reach you, though, to access the services? Yeah, so so primarily with our, our tick-related services, it's through our website, ticks.umaine.edu. Uh, we've really put a lot of time and, and effort into kind of creating a, a nice comprehensive website that has a lot of, of, of information about ticks. It has uh, you know, a lot of the personal protection and management things that we've talked about today. Uh, it talks about all the different types of, of ticks that we have found here in Maine, uh, as well as a whole online portal for um, uh, submitting a tick for, for identification and testing. And we've also started to kind of delve a little bit into representing the, um, the, the, the data that we collect. Um, so we're, we're creating maps and various things like that to really be able to highlight uh, uh, to the people of Maine just where in the state we're seeing ticks and where ticks are being submitted from and, and where the pathogens are being uh, detected. So, so certainly through, through our website is, is um, kind of the, the initial way I would suggest people uh, access our services. And then if they have questions, they can always call us here directly. They can call their local extension offices and, and anyone here in extension is, is happy to help or happy at least kind of direct people in the, the right direction for, for what they need. Great. I will put that information in our show notes so that people yeah. have access to it. Great. How can people support the work that you're doing? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I think, like I said, you know, word of mouth has been huge. We don't advertise, you know, we don't pay to advertise our services or anything like that. It's really been just through, you know, news media, things like that. And just people, you know, finding out through through family and friends about the services that we offer. So I think just continuing to do things like that. And then, you know, if, if they're happy with the, the, the services that we offer, you know, kind of let people know. I mean, we're really fortunate uh, to have the support of Maine state government. They provide some, some money that allows us to, to conduct this, this testing at a reduced rate for uh, Maine residents. So, you know, letting, letting state government know that, that you appreciate the, you know, the, the support that they've, uh, given to the program and that the, that the program is is really uh, having an impact on the people of Maine is, is really uh, beneficial to, to us and the program as a whole. Great. Okay. So listeners, that's your homework. If, <laughs> if you do get a chance to take advantage of some 
cooperative extension programs, including the TIC program, and you find them beneficial, um, let's be a mouthpiece for them and um, let our legislators as well um, as others know the value that we found in it. So that that is doable homework for everyone. Great. Now, I, I can't believe how fast this conversation has gone. Um, I could talk with you about ticks all day. I guess um, maybe I should have become a tick specialist. Um, but we're at the last question of the podcast, and we always end our podcast with asking our guests to answer one of two questions, mm -hmm. either recommending that everyone listening read a certain book on the specific work that you do, or answering a question of what is bringing you joy right now. So I'm going to let you choose and answer that question. Yeah. So, I mean, I, certainly as far as what is, is bringing me joy at the moment, I, certainly my family, I have uh, two young daughters who are, uh, are great and, and we're spending a lot of time outdoors. You know, that's kind of been the one um, you know, benefit, if you will, of, of the pandemic is, is ha having the opportunity to spend a lot more time with, with family and, and getting to do some things that we would probably wouldn't have otherwise taken advantage of. Um, it, you know, in regards to a, a, a book that kind of encompasses the work that we do, you know, there are a lot of books out there about Lyme disease and, and the medical aspects. And that's something that we don't really delve into in our lab. We're not a medical lab. Um, so there, but there is one book by um, Richard Osfeld called Lyme disease. And it really is about the kind of the complex system as a whole and it is a you know you don't have to be a, a tick expert to, to really understand it but it really delves nicely into the the kind of ecological systems behind the emergence of Lyme disease and how it's transmitted through the wildlife populations and the tick populations um, so I, I think if I would recommend um, one book just to kind of get a better understanding of, of how and why uh, ticks and tick-borne diseases have been able to spread, that would be a good starting point. Excellent. I will again put a link to that book in our show notes so that people can access it. Yeah. Griffin, I'm sure your voicemail is full at this point with people calling <laughs> with questions, even while you're talking to me. So I, I'll let you go, but I really appreciate this time. Um, if you could take our thanks from Darrell Stonington back to your team at Cooperative yeah. Extension. Um, we really appreciate everything that you're doing on behalf of us and our safety. We've learned a lot this morning. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a it's been a pleasure.